Oh man, how many of you just can't wait to be king, huh? Isn't that right? Hey, as I said, we're uh, talking about Lion King today, and uh, if you weren't here just a moment ago, we're wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last few weeks, and we've talked about movies and really how can we see ourselves in some of the characters and some of the themes of, of this summer's blockbuster movies, and we've talked over the last few weeks about Spider-Man, we talked about Aladdin, Last week was Men in Black, and today we're wrapping up with Lion King. And if you missed any of those and want to go back and, and uh, catch some of those, you can find those on our website, thebridge.me slash messages, and you can go back and check out uh, the ones that you might have uh, missed along the way. But we're talking about Lion King, and it, Lion King is actually one of my favorite Disney movies. I mean, it just has all the elements that make for a perfect movie, right? It's got action and adventure. It's got love and romance. It's got, you know, a, a villain that's sinister and evil. It's got a, um, you know, an uncertain and kind of reluctant hero that needs to be guided along to eventually become everything that he needs to become. Good triumphs over evil. Everybody is safe and they all live happily ever after. I mean, it's just a great movie. But one of the things that I really like about the movie is how well it depicts the human struggle, struggles that we all face as human beings, and specifically the struggle of who or what will define my life. Who or what would define my life? Because there are voices that are constantly speaking into our lives. Voices of, you know, telling us who we are or who we'll never be or what we're worth or if we're worthless. I mean, just constantly being bombarded with different voices and it really becomes difficult to know well which voice do I listen to which voice is telling me the truth which voice will help define who I am and we see this being played out in the movie in the life of Simba Simba is the the main character Simba is a a lion that is is eventually going to be he's heir to the throne his dad Mufasa is the, the king of the jungle and Simba is going to be, you know, his heir to the throne. He's going to take over someday, but he's struggling to know how am I supposed to do this? Who is supposed to speak into my life and really help me define these things in my life? And there's a picture, I want to show you the, one of the posters for the, one of the main posters for the, for the movie. And I, I love this picture as, as Mufasa, the big lion there, is, is talking to his son Simba. It's obvious that Simba is not a teenager here because he's listening to his dad. Um, but, uh, but as they're, they're had this moment together, it's, it's, it's kind of a tender moment where Mufasa is just painting this grand vision for his life, for Simba's life. And along the way, he's trying to help Simba understand a principle that, that I think all of us need to understand at some point in our life. And it's this, that definition drives destiny. Definition, defining who you are really drives or determines the type of destiny that you will pursue and, and attempt to fulfill. And so, so Mufasa helps Simba, under, try to help Simba understand that not all of the voices that speak into your life are really moving you toward the destiny that you're meant to fulfill. In fact, there are some voices that are speaking into your life and trying to define who you are that are not good. They're the wrong voices. And if you get caught up listening to those voices, 
and allowing them to define who you are, you will not fulfill the destiny that you were created for. And that's a good word for all of us. That if we're not careful, we will allow the wrong voices to define who we are and we'll never be everything that we were created to be. Now, you may or may not know this. It may be a shock to you, but there is a battle going on right now in your mind and heart. You're like, dude, I've only been up two hours. No battle going on. Maybe not in this moment, but there is a battle going on for who will speak into your life and who will define your life and what you become. And when you look at the scripture, when you look at the Bible, God's spoken many things about you and many things about me. He's, he's given a lot of ways to define who we are and what kind of destiny for us to pursue. But he's not the only voice, right? In fact, uh, the scripture talks about that there is another, the enemy of God is Satan. And Satan speaks a lot of things as well. And Satan uses a lot of tools to try to influence and help define who you are and distract you from the destiny that God has given for you to pursue. Now, in the movie, we see the evil uncle. Anybody know Simba's uncle's name? Scar, yeah. And Scar comes along, we see Scar here. Scar comes along and his mindset is, I want to try to distract you, destroy any image that you think you have of yourself. I want to try to derail whatever you think of yourself so that you don't pursue your destiny. I want to try to hide it, destroy it, distract you from it so that you don't pursue it. And if that way, if I do that, then I succeed. And in a very similar way, Satan does the very same thing. You see, Satan cannot hurt God. Satan's not as powerful as God. Satan can't compete with God. In fact, Satan has already been defeated by God. So Satan knows I'm not as powerful as God. I can't hurt God specifically. And so he takes aim at the next best thing. He takes aim at what God loves most, and that's his kids. Those of us who are Christ followers, those of us who are children of God. And Satan knows if I can in some way hide your true identity, if I can some way distort your true identity or distract you from that, then I will succeed in getting you to not fulfill everything that you were created to be. Everything that God has created you to become. I will, I will have succeeded in hurting God by somehow hurting God's kids. And so that's what he constantly does. And he uses all kinds of tools to do that. I'll tell you some of the tools that Satan uses to try to distort or distract us from the image that God has for us or the identity that God has for us. He uses things like opinions and thoughts. All kinds of opinions and thoughts out there and they're constantly bombarding our life. All your life, people have been expressing opinions and thoughts about you. It could be your parents, it could be your peers, it could be your work associates, it could be your partners. It could be friends, it could be enemies, it could be the media, it could be culture, but they're constantly feeding all of these opinions and thoughts about who you should be, what you should be like, what you should dress like, how you should act, how you shouldn't act, what you'll never become, what you're not talented enough to do. All of these things, all of these opinions, all of these thoughts are constantly bombarding us. 
And Satan loves to use those things and craft them in such a way that they hit us and we begin to take on the identity of whatever everybody's opinions are or whatever everybody's thoughts are and not actually pursue what God thinks about me or how God has defined me. He uses opinions and thoughts. He uses also guilt and shame. This is probably one of his most powerful tools. But see what Satan does, Satan comes to us and tempts us. He says, you know, hey, look at this thing here. I know you want it. I know you do, you, you, you really, and look, look at all these people over here. They're happy because they're doing this right here. And they wouldn't have a smile on their face if they didn't like it, and you're gonna like it too. This is good for you. Don't worry about it, it's okay. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna be upset. Take it, take it, take it. And finally, you take the bait. And immediately, he switches on us, and he begins to accuse. I can't believe you did that. What kind of person are you? How dare you sit up in this place acting like you're, you know, singing about God's love. Like, you don't know God's love. You, listen, these people in this room, if they knew what you did, they wouldn't forgive you. And they're imperfect. What do you think a perfect God will do? Guilt, shame, guilt, shame. And those things, God is not a broker of shame and guilt. See, naturally, we, we, we have a tendency to struggle with guilt because we make wrong decisions. We make bad choices. We feel guilty because of that. But there's a big difference between guilt and shame. You see, guilt says, I did something wrong or bad or evil. Shame says, I am bad or evil. You see, guilt is, I feel guilty over an action that I've taken, but shame takes it even further and says, that is now your identity. The action that you took is now who you are. And we begin to wear these things as a moniker. That's our label, that's who we are, it defines us. And you need to understand that God is not the one who pushes shame. Anytime we feel ashamed, that didn't come from God. So you gotta understand, Satan has a powerful tool and he uses it all the time, guilt and shame. He uses opinions, thoughts, guilt and shame, but he also uses hurts and pain. He uses hurt and pain. You see, being a part of this world, naturally, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in this world. And periodically, we're gonna bump into some of those bad things in this world and we're gonna experience the sting, the pain, the hurt that comes just being a part of this world. Now, what Satan loves to do is he loves to take the pain and the hurt that we feel and he loves to use that in a way to cause us to bring into question things about God, to cause us to question God's goodness, his fairness, his love, whether or not he's trustworthy. How could God allow this to happen to you? Thought you said he loved you. If he really loved you, he wouldn't allow that to happen. You prayed about it, didn't you? And it still happened. God must not be good to allow that to happen or he must not care about you. And we hear that and we, we start taking on this pain and this hurt and it begins to define who we are. So the question is what voices will we allow to define our lives? What voices will speak into us? In the movie, we see Simba. 
He allows Scar to speak into his life, to talk about who he really is and what he's done, actions he's taken. And before, before long, we see Simba doing what, what we often do, and that's running. He's running away from his past. He's running away from guilt and shame. He's running away from the hurt and the pain that he's caused. He's running. He's running because of someone's opinions and thoughts, specifically Scar. And he's running away from everything, leaving it all in the past and we see him hooking up with a warthog named Pumbaa and a mercat named Timon and their theme song is Hakuna Matata right it means no worries I'm leaving it all back in the past but how many of us have really been successful at that you know can you ever really leave all that stuff in the past it seems like it just keeps coming back around at some point in our life well pretty soon in his life a baboon named Rafiki shows up from his past and we see Rafiki challenging Simba with a specific question. And I want you to see what he says. I am Simba. <laughs> it's a great question. The question is, who are you? Who are you? I'm not, I'm not talking about your name and age and where you're born and family. I'm talking about who are you at the innermost core of your being? Who are you? And who gets to define that for you? Because again, however that gets defined in your life will determine or drive the destiny that you pursue. Now, I love this picture that I'm about to show you. It's a picture of Simba stepping into Mufasa's footprint. And it's a great picture because it just symbolizes a lot of things. Now, it could symbolize, you know, Simba having the mindset of, man, I got some big paws to fill, right? And with that mindset comes a lot of pressure. How can I ever live up to this? My, my, my paw's never gonna be as big as his paw. How can I live up to this? But the other mindset could be, that's some big paws. But fortunately, my father has left plenty of big paw tracks for me to follow and if I will just follow them and be obedient I will become everything that I need to become so that's a different mindset right it takes a lot of the pressure off now all I have to do is just follow and be obedient two different mindsets but they begin to shape Simba and who he becomes and the truth is when you look I'll give you a close-up picture of this when you look at this paw print you see the paw the pad part there and you see like four toes or fingers that come off of that it defines really to the mark of identity of who left that track and as we look at the scripture I want to show you a specific verse in the, in the scripture where Simon Peter and Peter was a disciple of Jesus and he eventually becomes one of the the church leaders in the very first century church and he writes a couple of books in the Bible first and second Peter and in first Peter I want to show you a verse and in that verse, there are four identifying marks that help really to define who we are from God's perspective, okay? And Peter is writing this to a group of Christ followers in the first century. Now, it applies to us in the 21st century, but in the first century, he's writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted. They've lost their jobs. They've been marginalized and ostracized. Many of them have been thrown in jail. Many of them have lost their lives because of their faith there in the Roman Empire. And Peter writes to them and says, listen, I know all the things that you're going through can cause you 
to begin to doubt his love. You can be confused. You can kind of have the mindset of he's not there for me. He doesn't have my best interest at heart. I'm not sure if God really loves me. I'm not even sure if I belong to him, if I'm considered one of his children. You can start questioning all these things in the middle of all the hurt and the pain and the difficulty that you're going through. And so in that, I want to give you something that really shows how God feels about you. He writes it to them, but it applies to us today as well. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what he says. He says, you are a chosen people. We're going to stop right there. He starts off the verse by saying, you are chosen. There's something good about being chosen in there. Being chosen feels good. If you've ever been chosen by anyone, been chosen by that special someone that you love and they chose you, been chosen to be on a team, been chosen at work, been chosen for a promotion, been chosen for a reward, just been singled out and chosen just to say, add a boy or add a girl. Being chosen, that feeling of being accepted, man, that goes a long way. I mean, you can run on a week, a month maybe, on just that one feeling of being accepted in that moment. And so Peter understands this and he's like, I want to start this thing off by letting you know the first thing that identifies you according to God's perspective is that you are chosen. The first identifying mark is I am chosen. I am chosen by God. You were in the first round of heaven's draft. You weren't a default. You weren't Mr. or Miss Irrelevant. You know, you weren't, you know, God was sitting back going, okay, one left, I guess, bring them on. No, you were in the first round. God chose you specifically. He wanted you to be a part of his family. Now, I think, again, the reason that Peter starts off here is because two of the most powerful emotions that we experience as human beings, acceptance and rejection. It's two of the most powerful things that we, the feelings that we experience. And they're two sides of the same coin. Acceptance and rejection. We know what it feels like to be accepted and man, it feels so good, but many of us know what it feels like to be rejected. Rejected by your parents, rejected by your friends, rejected by someone you cared about, rejected in a job situation. Rejection brings a sting and it can cause some deep wounds in our heart and in our life. And so Peter starts off and he's like, I want you to know right up front that you were chosen. You were specifically chosen by God. You weren't default, you weren't by accident, you didn't slip in when he wasn't looking. He said, I want you, I choose you. And the apostle Paul, he writes about this as well. In the book of Ephesians, here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter one. He said, even before the world was made, God chose us for himself because of his love. He planned that we should be holy and without blame as he sees us. He said, before everything else was ever created, God chose us. He chose to love us before anything else ever happened. I just, just try to let your head wrap around that, okay? That before God put the world into existence, he chose you. 
Before God sprinkled the galaxy with stars, he chose you. Before God aligned the planets of the solar system, he chose you. Before he created the expanse of the oceans, he chose you. Before the sun ever came up over the horizon, he chose you. He chose you before anything else. That's how special you are. That's how God sees you. I choose you. The first identifying mark that you need to hold on to is that I am chosen by God. And you can wrap your head around that. It changes the way you live your life. He goes on, Peter goes on, he says this. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Now, don't you think about your family for a minute, even your extended family. Go way on out. Every family has a nut or two, right? I mean, just be honest about it, right? I mean, every family tree has a couple of crooked branches, right? Every family probably has somewhere, it may be in your extended family somewhere, but somebody somewhere you kind of feel like or you had the mindset they would be the poster child for birth control. I mean, you know, it's that, per that family member that you're like, uh. and, and honestly, if we're being real honest, okay, I know we're in church, you can't really be honest, so, but if we were being honest, there's a little bit of like, we're kind of ashamed. I mean, we don't really acknowledge them in our family. I mean, somebody might, you know, but, but it, it may be that crazy aunt or uncle or those crazy cousins or brother or sister or whatever, but it's like, uh, I don't mind, you know, yeah, no, no, I don't, who, what's her name? No, I don't, you know, we don't really want to acknowledge there's a little bit of shame being associated with them. This may be hard for you to even grab and you may not even want to believe it. But there will never, ever, ever be a time when God is ashamed of his family. And there will never, 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 ever be a time when he's ashamed of you. Never. There's never going to be a time when he's like, oh, no, no, don't know him. Nope, uh -uh, mm -mm, never seen him. Nope. Never going to be that time. He is always going to acknowledge being connected to you. He loves you that much. He's never, ever going to be ashamed of you. See, the, the next identifying marker for all of us is I am royalty. I am royalty. See, royal priesthood, those two words, they, they were never put together in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had different tribes and, and there's a guy named Jacob who had 12 sons and they became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And each of those tribes had their own distinguishing thing that was a part of their tribe. And you had a royalty tribe, which was a tribe of Judah. And out of the tribe of Judah, you had kings that would come out of there like David, King David, King Solomon. They were connected to the, the tribe of Judah, the royalty tribe. Then you had a priestly tribe. The tribe of Levi, and out of the tribe of Levi is where all the priests, the high priests, all the, the, those who served in the temple, they came out of the tribe of Levi. But you never had a crossover. You never had someone from Judah being the one that's overseeing the temple. You know, you never had Levite becoming the king. You know, it didn't have a crossover until Jesus came onto the scene. And when Jesus came onto the scene, he came out of the lineage of the tribe of Judah. In fact, he is called the Lion of Judah, 
the, the long-awaited king, the Messiah that came in a long line of kings. But the book of Hebrews, the New Testament, also calls him a great high priest. So in Jesus, you have both. You have the royalty and you have the priesthood. And those of us who are called Christ followers, we adopt that same stance. We are now royal and priestly. Now, I know you're sitting here going, dude, I've been a believer for like a month. I don't even, I'm still looking for 1 Peter 2. Yeah, I'm not royal anything or priestly or anything. And I get that, I understand. But here's what you have to understand. You are not royal or priestly because of anything you do to earn those titles. You are that way because God chose to give you those titles. It is all on him. It is his choice. And he looked at you and said, not only do I choose you, but you are now royalty and you are priestly. It's a title that he's given to us out of his great love. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of God because we earned it. Nope. Nothing we could have done to earn it. Because he chose to see us that way. And we are adopted by him into his family. And as such, as the king of the universe, we are royalty. And we roll like royalty. Because that's who we are. You are royal. Goes on in 1 Peter. He said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A holy nation. The word holy is a word that means to be set apart. So holy means to be set apart from sin. Means to be set apart to God. So in a relationship with Christ, we have been set apart from sin. You say, well, and not last night. You know, I mean, sin was still there. No, no, I understand that. I understand that we make choices that are sinful. But that's not our identity. In Christ, we have been set apart the way that God sees us. We are holy, set apart from sin. In other words, we have the power to say no to sin. Doesn't mean we always do it, but we have the power to do so. But we've also been set apart to God, to have a relationship with God. And both of those things are only available because of the third identifying marker of who we are. And that is I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And see, with God, forgiveness is total and it's complete. That's the great news. The good news about a relationship with Christ is that forgiveness is never going to be a partial forgiveness. Like, I'll forgive you for this, but hey, not that. And if you ever do that, nope, uh-uh. No, it's total, it's complete. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, forgiven. Every single day that you awake, you have a clean slate. As a believer, as a Christ follower, that's part of your identity. You are completely forgiven. You say, I don't feel forgiven. Our feelings lie to us. Because that's not the truth of what the scripture tells us. In fact, in the Old Testament, oh, well, there's an Old Testament prophet named Micah. 
and he writes the book of Micah in Micah chapter 7. Listen to the way he describes God. See if this lines up with what you've always thought of God. What God compares to you? So he's talking to God. He's like, what God could ever compare to you? Well, why are you saying that, Micah? Because you forgive those who are guilty of sin. You do not stay angry forever. And because you enjoy showing mercy. Is that the picture that you have of God? Is that the picture you've always had of God? See, I'm afraid too often we have this picture of God that he's vengeful, he's spiteful, maybe even a little sadistic. Like he looks forward to taking retribution on us. Like when we mess up and he's like, oh, okay, all right, yeah. Oh, you, you will pay for that one. And, we, and, and then when things start happening to us and then, you know, things are not going well or bad things happen, you know, you, you get in the middle of a traffic jam that's usually not there, but now it is that day. And you're like, oh, it's because of that sin. It's because of God's getting me. I know. God's taking, taking it out on me because of the sin. I got it. I know. You go to Taco Bell, order a taco, and they just give you cheese and lettuce, no meat on it. And you're like, it's because of that sin. Now there's some vegetarian over there eating meat because of my sin. I know. That's, that's the way it rolls. That's the way God is. We have this mindset, right? That bad things are happening because God is getting back. He's making us pay for those things. Not according to Micah. Micah says the God that we serve is a God who forgives and he enjoys showing mercy. Wrap your head around it. That God loves showing you mercy. He loves showing me mercy. It's not something painful for him. It's not like, okay, here we go again. Mercy. No. He's like, yes, I can show you mercy again. He enjoys it. He goes on. He says, you will again have compassion on us. You will conquer our sins. You will throw away all our sins into the deepest part of the sea. He's saying forgiveness is complete. Our sins have been conquered. They've been forgiven. They've been thrown into the deepest part of the sea. They are no longer an obstacle or a barrier in our relationship with God. It's not that God forgets our sin. If God forgot our sin, we'd serve a God of amnesia. That's not the God we serve. It's that he knows about our sin and he's chosen to forgive and not allow it to be an obstacle in our relationship. That's why it's called amazing grace. Because he knows everything we've done. And what God is saying is God knows the worst thing you've ever done and the worst thing you will ever do. And even knowing that, he still sent Jesus to die for you. He knows that about me. And he still sent Jesus to die. There's never gonna be a day when you surprise God with your behavior. There's never going to be a time when God's like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Wow. You know, there's never going to be a day when he tweets, you know, OMM. It wouldn't be OMG. It'd be OME. Anyway, he says, I didn't even know this was going to happen. Wow, they're out there doing, oh man, didn't see it coming. No, 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 no. He is not surprised by anything that we do. He is not taken back by anything we do. He knows our worst moments and he still chooses to send his son to die for us and to forgive us. I am chosen. I am royalty. I am forgiven. And the fourth one, Peter says this, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's 
special possession. God's special possession. Let me ask you a question. What determines the value of something? What determines the value? Like, take this golf bag here. It's the Titleist Tour golf bag. It's slightly used. Um, brand new, it's anywhere from 250 to 450, whatever, wherever you're buying it from. Slightly used, I don't know, maybe 100 bucks, I don't know, 50. Part of what determines value, though, is who owns it, whose name is on it. So see, when I turn this around and show you the name that's on this, it changes the value of it. Get ready for your mind to be blown. <laughs> okay, we'll start with 5,000. Anybody 5,000? <laughs> You're like, it just went down to 25 now. <laughs> that doesn't mean much, right? I mean, that doesn't help the value a whole lot, right? Now, if I'd have turned that around and said Tiger Woods, would the value have gone up? Sure it would have. Because his name means a lot more than my name when it comes to golf, okay? Part of what determines value is whose name is on it, who it belongs to. But ultimately, really what determines value is what somebody's willing to pay. You know, most of you can sit here and say, that ain't worth 10 bucks. But then somebody could say, I'll buy it for 150. You know what it's worth? It's worth 150 at that moment because they were willing to pay for that, right? So here's my questions for you. Who owns you? And what price were they willing to pay? See, according to what we read in the scripture, those of us who have a relationship with God, God places his name on our life. We now have on our life the God of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords, stamped across our lives. We belong to him. He belongs to us. Our value is set based on who owns us, whose name is on our life. But it's also set on what he was willing to pay for us. And he said, you're so important to me that I'm willing to give you everything I have. I'm willing to allow my son to die for you. See, that's a heavy price to pay for your life and for my life. You know what all of those things say? It's the fourth marker. It says that I am valuable. I am valuable. That's the way God sees me. That I, I'm not just some throwaway. That I'm, I'm not, you know, just some failure over here. Just some screw up that, that God tolerates. No, God looks at me and says, you are valuable to me. I love you with an unfailing, consistent, lavish, extravagant kind of love. And there'll never be a day that you can ever do anything to cause me to love you any less. I love you. You are valuable to me. I am chosen. I am royalty. I'm forgiven. And I'm valuable. See, those are the identifying marks 
your life and my life the way God sees it. So who speaks into your life to define you? Peter goes on, he finishes the verse. Here's what he says. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter says, you are all those things and God views you in that way so that you can then go out and reciprocate those things and transfer those things into the lives of the people that God brings along your path. See, I told you a while ago that we used the word royal priesthood. In Latin, the word priest is the word pontus. And what priest means in, in Latin, it means Build a bridge, the builder of a bridge. Builder of a bridge. That could, that could be a good church name, the bridge. <laughs> builder of a bridge. You, you, you know what Peter is saying? And this is the way God looks at us. He says, I love you so much. I chose you. You're royalty. I've forgiven you. You're valuable, valuable to me. Now, I want you to go out and I want you to build bridges to other people. I want you to go and build a bridge of love to people who desperately need it. I want you to build a bridge of mercy to people who desperately need mercy. I want you to build a bridge that shows people the wonderful light because they're living in darkness. I want you to build bridges to people, bridges of hope to people who desperately need hope. See, Peter says, however God has treated you and however God has defined you, you take those things and transfer them into other people's lives. See, God says, I love you so much with an unbelievable kind of love, an unconditional kind of love. Now, I want you to love the people that I bring into your life. Even when they're not very lovable, even when they turn their back on you, I want you to love and I want you to pursue the same way I have loved and pursued you. See, I forgave you. And it's total and it's complete. You are forgiven. Now, I want you to forgive the people that have wronged you. And we're like, but God, they don't deserve my forgiveness. And God says, do you think you did? Do you think you deserve my forgiveness? I want you to forgive. You are valuable to me. Now, I want you to show value to people that come into your life. I want you to value them by showing them respect and honor. Even when they're not respectable, even when they don't act honorably, I want you to respect and honor them in that way showing that they have value. I want you to treat people the way I have treated you. See, it's hard for us to do that if we don't truly know what our identity is. If I don't know that I've been chosen by God, I'm gonna struggle accepting people that come into my life. If I don't know that I have been forgiven 
and I've not experienced those things from God, I'm gonna have a difficult time forgiving people. If I don't understand the value that I have in God's eyes and allow that to define me, then I'll never be able to not only value people, but I'll never be able to, to celebrate their victories. Anytime something good happens for someone, I will be critical of that because I don't feel valuable. See, Peter says these things have to define you because that's how God sees you. And it's only when we live in that identity that we're able to show that to other people and to build a bridge to people. You are chosen. You are royalty. You are forgiven. And you are valuable. And it might be fairly easy to sit here in this room in this moment and feel that. But when we leave this place, we still have an enemy that will immediately begin attacking those things. And he will whisper in your ear, you're not valuable. You might have been chosen, but you were the least, the last one. You're not forgiven, especially with stuff we know, especially stuff that you did. You're not forgiven. And you're such a failure and you're such a screw up. Don't even think that you can make a difference in this world. Who are you to think that somehow you can make a difference? And we have to know in those moments the truth of the way God sees us because that's the only thing that defeats all of these lies that we're being told. And in those moments, we have to stand on that truth and we have to know, no, 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 that's a lie. Anytime you start talking, I know it's a lie. That is a lie. I know my worth. I know my value because I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, our heavenly father, has looked at me and said, you're forgiven, you're valuable, you're royalty, you're chosen. I have royalty in my veins. I have a purpose for my life. And I will stand on those truths and tell you to shut your pie hole. You have to know the truth of the way God has defined you. So the question remains, who are you? Who are you? Or maybe a better question is, whose are you? Who has ownership of your life? And you figure those questions out and you let those truths define who you are, that's when you begin to be able to pursue the destiny that you were created for. And that's my hope, and that's my prayer for all of us. Let me pray for us, okay?